You're listening to Campus Conversations, the Shawnee Community College podcast. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us. My name is Kevin Huntsperger, Executive Director of Public Information and Marketing at Shawnee Community College. And Dr. Tim Taylor is here for the Campus Conversation Shawnee Community College podcast. Dr. Taylor, we've been talking about doing a podcast for quite some time now. We've introduced mm-hmm. the pilot episode and kind of overviewed some of the things we're going to be talking about. And I'm really excited about this series that we're about to uh, get started here with you and, and kind of looking at education in a different, higher education specifically in a different way. Yeah, I think it's important uh, for all higher education institutions to kind of reflect about what's happened uh, with higher education in the past um, and what kind of technologies and ideas are emerging within the communities now and how it's reshaping the workplaces and then kind of figure out from a strategic perspective, how do we move those colleges towards a bigger, broader vision that can support our community and our students in economic growth and in personal growth. And the series that we're going to engage in right now, I don't know how many episodes it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, because I can get talking on stuff and the next thing you know, an hour's gone by. (laughs) But frame it around some of the work um, of Art Levine, Mm -hmm. Dr. Levine. Uh, He's uh, Columbia... He was a dean of Columbia College, I believe. Uh, he's very articulate. He's way better at this than I am. <laughs> but he, I went to a Higher Learning Commission um, seminar for presidents about a couple years ago, and he was the keynote speaker. And the way he framed out his understanding of these topics uh, kind of resonated with me because there were things that I've been thinking about for many years and things that I had noticed within. He used some of the same examples that I had thought through, you know, with Netflix and streaming services mm-hmm. and things like that. And so I, I kind of felt like he he had a very nice way of packaging the content in a way that people could really understand it. And, and so I'm going to kind of, in some ways, I don't want to say steal his work, but I, I definitely want to give him credit for sure. it. Uh, and Van Pelt, uh, Scott Van Pelt was also a writer, uh, so I don't know how they contributed it, but I, I think I'm going to put my own kind of focus on it and how I think uh, it impacts Shawnee College, mm-hmm. because it, if you've seen our strategic plan, it's like 150 pages, yeah. it seems kind of intimidating, probably broader or in de- more in-depth than most strategic plans that you'll see, especially in the higher education space, so I want to give you an understanding you, the audience, an understanding of why mm-hmm. we are doing what we're doing. And hopefully where it will lead us is puts Shawnee in a, continues to keep Shawnee at the forefront of, of an educational institution that really cares deeply about its students and the community. Before we dive too deeply into this topic, though, you know, you mentioned the, the phrase strategic plan. Uh, for people who, you know, maybe students, maybe mm-hmm. community members uh, who aren't uh, as high uh, or as knowledgeable about the higher ed vernacular, what exactly is a strategic plan? And, and you know, t- briefly touch on what Shawnee is, is all about. So a strategic plan tends to look at an organization's strengths and its areas for improvement, its challenges, and then it develops, you know, initiatives to, to make it better, mm-hmm. uh, or to make us stronger, to make us more focused, to make us better uh, content for consumers to consume. And so um, we put together initiatives that we've identified just based on our, where we want to be as an institution, and then we just execute those initiatives moving forward. Now, the reason that we do that is because everybody has limited resources. Shawnee's no different. And we want to make sure that we're using our uh, 
resources in a way that sh- you know that helps us grow and shows great stewardship to our community. And uh, you know, as we move forward, again, if you have questions, if you have comments or concerns, let us know. Uh, weigh in uh, on wherever you're listening to this podcast or watching the video for this podcast on YouTube, and of course. Uh, reaching out to us through the Shawnee Community College website, shawneecc.edu, is a great way to communicate with myself, with Dr. Taylor, or anyone else uh, who is associated with Shawnee Community College. We're going to talk a little bit more about adaptive versus disruptive uh, learning in education. And, you know, I think most of our students were born after Shawnee Community College was founded back in 1967. So to them, 1967 was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. But really, when you look at the scope of of higher education, uh, you know, it goes, it's centuries old. Right. Well, the series that we're we're doing, and this is going to be the first part, is we're going to take a look backwards, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. the historic ways in which higher education has transformed. Uh, we'll start, you know, college has been around since the 1600s, um, and, you know, they're still going around today. And so there's, you could say, you could argue they're one of the more survivable industries. Sure. Right? Absolutely. But I think if you look at how higher education has transformed in the past, it will show some insight on how it might transform today. Uh, because, you know, the history tends to repeat itself. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what we learn, right? Yeah, sure. So I think just understanding that is kind of, and providing that framework is, provides us a, a, a jumping point to be able to say, well, how is digital economy going to influence higher education? And what's that transformation going to be? So, potentially be, mm-hmm. right? And so um, I think the next part of this, you know, after this today or, the, you know, when we're done looking back, yeah, we're going to look forward and we're okay. going to look at the new technologies and then we're going to um, make some, some, I guess, jumping off ideas, uh, going to take a leap, saying that, you know, if it changes, if this is the structure or process of change, then what's likely to happen next, mm-hmm. uh, given where technology is. And then we're going to look around. We're gonna, I want, I'm going to take a specific look at three different knowledge economy-driven industries. The news industry, mm-hmm. which you were in, yes, right? So, yes, And you can attest <laughs> firsthand well, I, yes. how it changed. <laughs> Uh, the second is uh, the music industry and how that's changed over the years. I mean, I... You've got the, the history I got there, the eight so. tracks, the yeah. 45s, <laughs> <laughs> the albums. I mean, my, uh, and then uh, I also want to talk about the movie industry and how okay. it's changed. And, 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 but that will be, you know, a future episode. And then finally, I think what we'll do is, is knowing how, or at least basing off of the possibilities and the likelihood that disruptive change is coming, and I do believe disruptive change is coming, then what does the college need to do strategically mm-hmm. to position itself to have the best opportunity to serve our community and our students? And so that's kind of the framework for this you know, four-part series. Sure. Forward. You talked about change, and you also talked about the, uh, you know, the longevity of higher education and, mm-hmm. and, and mentioned, you know, that obviously it's been a sustainable industry, so to speak, since it's been around since the 1600s. Uh, a lot of times people think of change and, and look at it as, as a bad thing. Um, but obviously without changes throughout the, the years, throughout the decades, we wouldn't be sitting here today doing this podcast, I don't think. Right. Well, I mean, it's inevitable. Everything changes. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll see as we look back, 
there's reasons why that changes, and the changes had to be made for the industry to survive. Mm-hmm. And that's just with every industry. Yeah, it's not just education. And, and so, um, change. You know, the question is: Is it adaptive change, mm-hmm. or is it disruptive change? So, I think it probably helps us to frame the idea: What's the difference between sure. adaptive and yeah. disruptive change? So, I'll give you an example of an adaptive change. Um, The record industry, mm-hmm. the recording industry, the music industry, they used to have 45s. Yeah. Right? So they, or they used to have albums, big albums. All you had to do was buy an album, right? Mm-hmm. But every song that you got on an album, you may not want to listen to. Right. Right? Absolutely. You would buy an album just to get one or two songs. I have many scratches from my childhood <laughs> of trying to skip around on the, on the album. Well, so. then the consumers really just wanted... The buy the song and they didn't want to pay for the full album they just wanted to and so the industry came up with a 45 mm-hmm. that was an yeah. adaptive change okay i like that it yeah. adapted yeah and so later you know I and mean, we're getting ahead to a future discussion but it changed to streaming mm-hmm. music streaming there's no media involved right yeah. there's just digital electrons flowing through the air or the wire and so they've had to change again and that was very disruptive to their industry. All of the industries that supported the record building industry is now different. The recording media is different. The, the, the packaging's different. The marketing's different. The whole media was disrupted and transformed. And so higher education has done that over the years. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. But they've had, they adapt, they adapt, and that's the process. You adapt, you adapt, you adapt until you can't adapt anymore. Mm-hmm. You, it changes, the model changes so significantly that you have to change the way you do business in order okay. to stay in business. Okay. Talk to us about disruptive change. Well, um, let's just talk about the process okay. of change, of, sure. of adaptive change. Yeah. Because adaptive change is part of disruptive change. Okay. It's just like a subset almost. Now, let me ask you this before we get too far. Just listening to this, adaptive change, you know, sounds positive. Disruptive change sounds negative. Right. right. Well, I, I guess you'll dis- differentiate that for us? Well, it's, it's, it's your perspective, I mm-hmm. suppose. It's an individual's perspective. Disruptive means that you're just going to have to do things way differently than you've done before. Okay. And because people don't like to do things differently... Um, in general, yeah, it becomes negative. It's not yeah. really negative. It right. depends on your perspective. Sure. You're, if you're the consumer, if you're the consumer who likes streaming audio, you love that disruptive yeah. change. If you're the the content creator who's done that, you probably eventually love the disruptive change because now you can do your more quickly, cheaply, easier. Yeah. Uh, and so on, but the process of getting there was hard. It was, tr- you know, you had a lot of struggles. It, it, you know, the process of disruptive changes is what's negative mainly. But gotcha. I think people's perception of it, it, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It could be a good thing. And if we can, as a college, look at this as an opportunity to do things more cheaply, better create better learning outcomes for our students in our community in a way that's going to help our economic area grow, then we can do wonders with the, with disruptive change. How important is it for a community college, and, and I'll go specific with Shawnee Community College, especially in the uh, primary five counties that we serve, we have seen 
you know, a population decline um, in this area. Southern Illinois in general, the state of Illinois in general. Um, how important is it, though, that the college be a part of that uh, machine that moves us forward and, and does uh, implement these changes? It's more important now uh, for higher education, not just Shawnee College, but, mm -hmm. but I'm going to say for Shawnee Community College in our five county service area, it's the most important thing for us to do because we're in, yeah, we're, we've transitioned from the industrial economy of the 1900s to an information economy mm -hmm. in the late 90s, early 2000s. But now with the, the, with the new technology, and you just keep wanting to get into the future part of this. But <laughs> yeah, I need, to, I need to pump the brakes. <laughs> but with the, we're really, pat, with AI mm -hmm. and Google, information, we've already passed that. We're into the knowledge economy, the knowledge application economy. And as it relates to knowledge and knowledge application and knowledge growth, we are the industry that provides that. In the past, you know, in any industrial area, it's the steel industry, you know. Mm -hmm. it, you know, building steel so that we can build rail so we could go across the country. Um, electrical, you know, Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. The telegraph. Yeah. Those were technologies that were not driven by education. Those were driven by outside of education in the, in the business community. In the knowledge economy, we are the creators. Mm -hmm. We are the providers. And so uh, that's why it's important for education institutions to uh, look at these things and transform. Because if we don't, there's just a bunch of competition. I think there's, there's organizations like now uh, Credly badges, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, straighter line. I mean, uh, there's just a ton of them right now that are seeing education and knowledge as, as growth potential, a growth market. And you're going to see private investment into those kinds of institutions. Now, how that plays out in the future is kind of debatable, but there's going to be a lot of competition to be part of this knowledge economy and Higher education needs to lead that charge. So, how do we get there? You know, let's let's go back and and, and take a look and and kind of you know give our our viewers and our listeners uh, you know a progress report of sorts. So, so let's talk about this process of adaptive versus disruptive change. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say there's probably about six steps. At least Levine and um, Van Pelt would argue there are six steps, and I think they seem right to me too. First is public demand for, uh, they emerge. Mm -hmm. You know, what is public saying about higher education right now? I, I, from what I hear, there's a lot of negativity yeah, surrounding so, it. So what are they saying? It's too costly. Too costly, not it's, getting no, good it's jobs. Not, we're not it's, teaching the right things. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the, if you could go to any website and say what's wrong with higher education and get 10 million articles to say what's wrong with higher education, the public is wanting more accountability. Uh, the government's imposing strict guide uh, rules and regulations on colleges that they have to perform, and, and it moves. So, so the public it starts with the public outcry, you know, and it started with the public outcry back in the you know in the industrial age when it went from in 1600s. Mm -hmm. There was only like four or five, maybe eleven colleges. I mean universities, mm -hmm. and their and their curriculum was was strictly you know Aramaic, Greek, Latin, 
some geometry. I mean, basically, the methods of teaching was five days a week, eight hours a day. Uh, you just immersed in it. It was recitation and, and back and forth. And that's the way it was for, from 1600 till roughly 1800, or 200 years. 1800 was the mark of about the start of the Industrial Revolution. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> at the start, it, it, up until that point, we were a very agrarian society. Everybody was farmers. There were some artists. There was some. Uh, there wasn't much merchants, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the business of, of food was what was going on. Yeah. So there wasn't a really need for a lot of higher education. It was more specialized than that, right? So then it started to change in 1800. 1800. Also, the geography changed too. You know, sure. from 1600 to 1800, everybody was mainly on the East Coast, mm -hmm. right? And there was populations that were centered so they could get food or yeah. people fed their families and so on. Uh, so it was kind of dispersed, but it was up and down the East Coast. As the Industrial Lev Lev Revolution started happening, uh, we started building things. Here's what I found. <laughs> We started building things. We started building buildings, mm -hmm. you know, and the buildings that we were building weren't out of wood anymore, right? right. We started building steel mm -hmm. and stone, and we, you know, and, and so your bigger areas like New York, Boston, Philadelphia, and so on, they started building, you know, bigger buildings, which means more people had to live there, yeah, to work, sure, and because more people had to live there to work, we had to have housing for them, and we had to educate them. And they had to have skills like geometry and, and mechanics yeah. and things like that. And where were they going to get these skills? Because higher education wasn't providing that at mm -hmm. that time. And at that time, I believe uh, schools, grade schools, uh, may, uh, I can't remember when it changed. It was K-8 for mm -hmm. a while. It wasn't even K. It was 1 through 8 for a while. And then, it, uh, then high school became kind of part, you know an add-on and then they didn't have to go to high school if they were working on the farms and that kind of stuff so it was a very agrarian society but as it shifted um, the needs for having better knowledge to compete in the economy changed mm -hmm. and the higher education was slow to change uh, and so first thing is they start having this realization that hey maybe we need to meet the demands of the community a little bit differently to promote the economics. I mean, we wanted, you know, we wanted to be able to build these new buildings. We wanted to be able to build this infrastructure. So at the start of the 1800s, every, all the population was up and down the coast mm -hmm. of the East Coast. And, it, and as we started building, you know, by the mid 1800s, you start seeing these mega cities pop up, you know. Um, and then new technology was invented called the railroad. Yeah. Right. And the rail needed steel. And to build steel, we had to have people who understood chemistry, who understood how to uh, make the steel, and then figure out logistics on how to ship the steel. And then we had to have people who took the steel and put it in the track mm -hmm. and then ran it across. By the end of the Industrial Revolution, we had rail all the way across the country. Yeah. So we were from Atlantic to Pacific. Yeah. And not just you know, on the East Coast. Yeah. It was nationwide. Another piece of technology that happened, telegraph. 
you know, before, how did we get messages from one place to another? We gave it to somebody, and they ride it on a horse, yeah. and it took them days to it's, deliver a letter. Yeah. And then if you had a response, <laughs> it'd take <laughs> days to get back. Well, Telegraph changed that. Because now you can just go on the wire. Yeah. You can communicate almost instantaneously. And so the way we communicated changed. And because the way we communicated changed, higher education had to support that. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it had what what did we have to do to get this wired from here to here? We had to create a system for communicating, you know, the uh, I forget what it's called, the dots. Tab. Oh, Morse code. Morse code, yeah. yeah, Morse code. And so you know, we had those things had to be created, and, and people evolved and, adapt, uh, and adapted. Uh, after telegraph, uh, what a great Alexander Graham Bell invent? The telephone. The telephone. <laughs> and so that was a technology that shifted. Right. Uh, and that changed the way we communicated again, all within the span of a lot, about thirty or forty years, very quickly. It right. Is, yeah. It's it's. It, Crazy to think about. If you think about living at that time, it was just seemed uh, dr dramatic. Yeah. You know, oh my gosh, I can communicate with my family that's now living 150 miles away. I can talk to them today. Yeah. Man, that had to be empowering. Right. But as a school, as a university, you're thinking, man, I don't know if I want to change my great curriculum. Yeah. To mechanics. It was hard, and yeah. that's what higher education faced in the Industrial Revolution as part of that change. The pressures from the economy made it so that they had to change. And so when things, you talked about negative or positive, when you feel like you have to change, it certainly feels negative, yeah. right? Yeah. Especially if you put a lot of energy and effort into creating something that's really probably awesome. I mean, someday we'll debate what really the purpose of education is. Is it to actually get the right answer or is it the process? But well, that's a whole different <laughs> deal. But the facts are the community, the public, they needed people who knew mechanics, they needed engineers, they needed workers who understood how to make this infrastructure work so that the, so that the society could grow. Mm -hmm. and, and then, you know, the electricity was another major, you know, Edison. Mm -hmm. Light bulb, boom! It came along. Instantaneous light. Now you could work at night, not just during the day. Yeah, being able to work at night created more industry opportunities. Created different industries that grew up. You could now do more, produce more. The production methods changed with electrical. Then steam came along. Steam uh, and and eventually diesel. I mean, all of those technologies transformed our society and our economy in a way that higher education had to provide those workers or help workers get those skills so that we could continue to be successful and move forward in the future. So that's, that's part of it. Uh, you know, in terms of higher education, Harvard at one time was, you know, I think it was one of the first colleges, universities, mm -hmm. but it was one of the the last of the earlier part of the industrial revolution to actually kind of walk away from their dead languages curriculum. Um, there were other colleges that began experimenting along the way. And I think that those were, um, there was one in New York that was probably the most attended university for 20 years called Union, Union something, Union County, I want to say Union County. <laughs> <laughs> but it is Union College, mm -hmm. or Union, 
University, and they were known for their technical and mechanical curriculum. And then over the course of the time, MIT came along, uh, and they specialized in engineering. Uh, John Hopkins came along, and they specialized in medicine and, and, and those kinds of technologies. And as those colleges and universities became successful, so they began, so there was experimentation, mm -hmm. right? So that's kind of part of this disruptive, this kind of adaptive change. There's experimentation. And they eventually created this situation where there was a tipping point and other universities had to jump on board. Now, there's always, along the way, there's detractors. Sure, absolutely. Uh, Yale, in the mid-1800s, was one of the major detractors. Really? Yeah, they had a faculty that said, you know what, our curriculum's just fine. It produces learning, and they did a really good job of articulating how their curriculum was the right curriculum for the day for that modern day and time. Mm -hmm. And it held education a lot of education institutions back for forty or fifty years because they were able to convince a lot of the policymakers. You know, yeah, uh, that was going to be my next question: is you know who's making these decisions? You know, was this a a collaborative thing, or were these universities kind of going rogue and doing their own thing. And it sounds like, in this case, they may have been. <coughs> Excuse me. It was a little bit of both, you know. Mm -hmm. There was not a concerted effort for standardization. It usually happens through government, through regulation. Uh, but in the experimentation stage, a lot of times, it's just people just... It's not really going rogue. It's just, hey, I got this idea. Mm -hmm. I'm trying it out, and if it works, it's great. If, yeah. And I'm going to try to adapt it so that it works better moving on. And that's basically how most industries grow. Gotcha. You know, so um, it wasn't going rogue. It was just trying different things, I believe. And and I think that's uh, how that transformed a little bit about higher education. But the yellow report really did set them back quite a bit. Yeah. And it, and it kind of harnessed creativity a little bit because it allowed other universities to stay you know, uh, where they were. And because they stayed where they were, that process of economic change became a, a larger gap. You know, I mean, if you were to change along with the economy, it's not as w much of a change when it becomes something where you just have to totally do something new. But if you wait and you wait and that gap keeps getting bigger, then it becomes a very dramatic change at, at the end of it. So I think... That Yale report really did kind of put higher education back uh, probably about 20, 30 years, maybe 40. But um, it did slow the pace of change. And so you'll see that. Mm -hmm. And you hear that even within our own institution, right? Sure. Hey, what we've done for 20 years, yeah. that yeah. works. Yeah. I know it works. Okay. <laughs> that, I mean, that's uh, it might have worked. But we have to really ask ourselves, is that going, does it work now? Mm-hmm. And is it going to continue to work in this new economy? How do you see that working? And yeah. so those are the kinds of conversations that we want to have, uh, sure. certainly with our, our teams. But um, after a while, though, some best practices start to emerge, right? Uh, and those best practices, you know, John Hopkins did this, MIT did this, Union did this, um, a few others did this, and then all the other schools started copying. You know, somebody, all of them started adding chemistry, mechanics, physics, those kinds of things to their curriculum. And so the best practices started to, to uh, diffuse throughout the industry. And that's what will happen, I think, in the future with higher education is some organizations are going to say, hey, you know what, that worked. Mm -hmm. 
let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> Education is great for duplicating that, right? Yeah. And so I think that happens. And then once the best practices start to diffuse, that's when the governments get involved and they say, uh, let's put some standardization in place. You know, and that happened in the Industrial Revolution. Uh, we never had the Carnegie unit until like 1906. Uh, so credit hours wasn't a thing. We didn't have units. Okay. <laughs> you know, we didn't have credits. Mm. Uh, we standardized that. So somebody's come along and said, you know, 15 and 10 weeks is the count. <laughs> Uh, 15 hours, five days a week, or something like that, mm -hmm. becomes a credit, you know? And so pretty soon that those standardizations come in, and then the government says, and then we're going to put, if you do these things, we'll give you this kind of funding, and then that standardization process comes in. And once that standardization starts to happen, and the best practices have emerged, then the institution is disrupted disrupted completely, it's changed completely, and it's ready to go. And then, once that happens, then it can be scaled and integrated throughout the economy. So that's kind of the process mm -hmm. of change, um, of, of adaptive versus disruptive change, but I think um, that's where we're at. We're, we're in the middle of that somewhere right now. Okay. You know, I think we've, we've, we've there's certainly been a knowledge Outcry. I mean, there's certainly been a public outcry for changing our curriculum, mm -hmm. right? There's certainly been a public outcry for creating higher education, learning opportunities in a ways that are more personalized, right, for individuals. There's certainly been experimentation where there's been a, a online learning has made a dramatic impact. Well, we've kind of adapted. Is it doing well? Some will do it better than others. Mm -hmm. Right now, there's about five major institutions that lead the nation in online learning, you know, Southern New Hampshire's probably the top enrolled. Yeah. Arizona State's really good. Uh, uh, Western Governors, uh, Phoenix, uh, what's the fifth one? Purdue University Online. And so they had those five institutions probably enroll, I'm saying 60, 70%, maybe 80% of the wow. nation's online learners. Wow. And so, that's, that's why I think that we're kind of in that uh, practice stage, what's working. We're going to learn from those five institutions. Maybe a sixth or seventh will emerge pretty soon. Probably will. And they'll have a little bit different spin, mm -hmm. and it'll be more effective. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, it's, you know, a friend of mine was, was recently telling me the story. His daughter is, is college age, and she was going to the University of Missouri mm -hmm. in, in Columbia. And... She figured out that, hey, I can do this online, and if I'm doing it online, I can live anywhere. And she's always dreamed of living in Florida. So she's moved to Tampa and is going to University of Missouri online. And, you know, 30 years ago when I was in college, the Internet wasn't a th or the Internet that we know today was not a thing. And so the idea that, you know, just in 30 years how far we've come and, and even probably less less time than that, but – it's amazing to think, and, and it's exciting to also be a part of this now and working in higher education with, with Shawnee Community College of the possibilities that are out there that we can take and, and learn the lessons from the past, from you know even back in the 1600s and, and how it's evolved to today, and, and letting that kind of lay the, the groundwork and, and putting our own spin and our own uh, you know nuances to it and, and making it, you know, 
adaptable for people in our five counties versus someone that lives on the East Coast or lives in Florida or, you know, even Canada or, or you know, another country? Yeah, I think one of the things that has distinguished uh, American education system over European or uh, Asian uh, education systems over the years is our ability to create learners that were creative, uh, creative thinkers, uh, creative people who could create. Um, and I think that's going to be the challenge for higher education in the futures because we're still needing that. I mean, regardless of what types of technologies you use, ultimately, at the end of the day, the person who's experienced or engaged with that process of learning has to be able to create something new in order to be very competitive and to set the standard. So I think that's the challenge for higher education. You know, the, in, at the end of the Industrial Revolution, The, the society, higher education in general, was still debating, should it be agrarian-based or should it be industrial-based? Mm. That all ended, you know, with the McKinley election in 1896 uh, because the, that's when the, the nation's population elected a president who said, these are the kinds of policies that we need to support the growth of the economic area. When that happens, then it creates that environment where change can really happen very quickly and disruptively. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing right now. We're, we're out of the industrial, there's no question we're out of the industrial age. Mm -hmm. uh, probably late, or late 80s, early 90s, as uh, computers came along, the information technology age was born. And like I said earlier, we're past the, the, the information economy. We're now in a knowledge economy. So we've actually gone past one economy, mm -hmm. in a sense, to a newer one. There may be another newer future economy that comes in more quickly, and we'll have to be ready to adapt. And, and I'm not sure exactly when that's going to be, but I could see it happening within my lifetime. And, uh, you know, obviously you mentioned, you know, with, with President McKinley and, and, and the changes that happened there, society played a big role and a big, was a big factor in, in that change as well. So society, obviously, mm -hmm. Sometimes people, I think, feel voiceless, but obviously, uh, if if there is a, enough of a uh, an outcry or enough of a, a groundswell for that, change is inevitable. It has to. I mean, because people have to work. Uh, people have to have some sort of way to feed their families, to engage with each other, to enjoy life. And you know, it used to be you worked in a field. Then it became you work in a factory, right? And mm -hmm. now it's working in an office, or now it could even be working from home, even, mm -hmm. which is, seems to be a, a path. So people still have to work. They still have to earn. They still have to make a living. Ultimately, they have to eat. Now, they, how they get that, that food, how they get those things that they want to consume, that's all a matter of what they enjoy doing and how they can make the money. But it's what goes on in society that drives what has to happen in education. When things stop becoming relevant in society, then they stop becoming relevant in education. You know, we used to have curriculum on, uh, uh, oh, let me think of a good one, typewriters. Mm -hmm. We used to have programs on typewriter repair. Yeah, sure. I mean, I had one <laughs> Yep. at a college I worked at. <laughs> but guess what? 
We don't use typewriters anymore. They're gone. They're gone. So we had to adapt our curriculum. So all of those people who learned typewriter repair, they had transferable skills, but not in typewriters. They had to learn something different. And I think that's why how our education evolves. So the needs of people to work have to be met. And if you can learn those needs, you may not need a higher. That's the thing that I'm worried about. Mm -hmm. you may not need a higher education institution in the future. You just may need some sort of central repository for learning experiences. And then what does that look like? Mm. Well, and <laughs> the one thing about Shawnee College is, you know, the fact that we have programs that, you know, relevant, relevant programs. And, and you Maybe. know, when you were talking about typewriter, you know, we've seen and I know that there are people who are, you know, in a whole different world than I know about, but they're looking at what is working in this community and in and, and this region and, and, and industries and jobs and, and curriculum has changed. And, you know, sometimes we get a message asking, you know, are you going to bring back this program or that program? And, you know, obviously they went away. There was a good reason for that to happen. So uh, it, it, it is part of listening to your communities and listening to and, and looking to see maybe projected job growth in, in a particular industry because the goal, I think, is to keep people at least local or at least somewhat local in, in southern Illinois. Yeah, that is Shawnee's primary uh, vision, I think, is to create uh, experiences for students uh, that so they can learn and they can earn here. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was kind of the, the tagline I wanted to bring in, learn here, earn here. Yeah, um, I like that. Uh, but the reason for that is, is our five county area has seen geographic disbursement. I mean, just like most of the you know central Rust Belt stuff, people are going where jobs are. That's just the way it's always been. People go to work because they have to eventually, you know, feed their families. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of places to work around here. Um, it's beautiful. People would love to live here, and I think that helps us in the future. So. What do we have to do to keep our people here? And so that's where data and analytics come in for us that we look at what jobs are available in our five county service area. Not just jobs available though, because you can work in a restaurant. Can you feed your family with a restaurant pay? And so we're looking at high paying jobs yeah. and you know jobs that require a higher level of knowledge and so high growth jobs as well so jobs in which they're going to be there for more than a couple years and so if you look at what we're doing we're in our uh, and thank goodness we've got an excellent board who's very uh, supportive of this vision is we want to create programs and services where students can learn here and earn here yeah. and that's really what we're doing right now so I mean our nursing and allied health programs are flourishing mm -hmm. truck driving it doesn't sound glamorous but man we need a bunch of truck drivers right I mean, we, we got to ship these goods and services to the consumers and there's just I mean if if you've been, you've seen the roads yeah over the course of our lifetime how many more trucks are out there even in the last five years right it's Absolutely. crazy and so we need truck drivers we need uh, people who understand warehousing and logistics and moving product from one area to the other. Uh, those people have to learn to work safely. Um, so all of those kinds of programs that we have at the college helps enable that kind of economy. And then we're trying to create entrepreneurs. So one of the things that we're trying to do moving forward in the future is, is bring back our business program. Mm -hmm. It's going to look different than our last business program because if we try to duplicate what we've always done, right. it's not going to be successful because yeah. the business models have changed. The analytics have changed. 
the way people consume education is starting to change. We're going to do it differently. So if you look at what Shawnee does and what I think other higher education institutions need to do, they need to take a look at the people that they serve, the region. Mm-hmm. What is it the region needs? And what can we provide that region so that if the we can create the next entrepreneur or we can create the next we're probably not going to create the next Amazon, but we could create businesses, small businesses that can flourish and thrive and, and earn here. Yeah. And the more we do that, then the more attractive this becomes. And then the population starts to come back because yeah. they come back to where the work is. Yes. So that's kind of the vision for Shawnee. And again, can't have that vision without taking that look back exactly. on our past. Well, it helps the look back on our past to know what might happen sharpens your decisions today, right? Yeah. It helps give you a little bit of confidence that, hey, maybe w- this will work. And if others start to believe that, which I'm hoping that this, this podcast starts to, to do is get people to think, well, you know what? This could be right. Mm-hmm. More people embrace it, the less negative that change is going to be. Yeah. Because this change is going to happen whether Tim Taylor brings it or not. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like that mindset as well. Dr. Taylor, anything else that you want to talk about in this first uh, introductory episode? No, I want to encourage our audience that engages with this podcast. Send us some questions. Mm-hmm. Send me challenges. Tell me I'm wrong. I'll, I'll, I'll read those challenges on the air. We'll address them. And if you're right, we'll have you on and we'll debate it here and have yeah. some fun with that as well. Uh, there's no such thing as right or wrong. There's degrees of right and wrong probably. But the next episode, let's talk about the future. Yeah. Okay. Of what the future could be, but let's look at the technologies that have really impacted uh, the knowledge economy, which will likely impact. The yeah. <laughs> now you know, right? Yeah, It'll absolutely. Will likely impact higher education, and then we'll go from there. All righty. Well, thank you, Dr. Tim Taylor, for joining us for this episode. Again, we'll talk about the future in a future episode. Thanks for listening and watching to the Campus Conversation Shawnee Community College podcast. Thanks for being a part of Campus Conversations. Be sure to leave a review on your favorite podcasting app. And if you have questions or concerns, contact us at shawneecc.edu.